You know, Jesus warned us that in the end times, deception like a virus will spread like wildfire. Disguised as the answer to all our problems, our secular culture can only offer replacements to the truth. The good news is that the truth of the Bible is the cure. In Pastor Jack Hibbs' new book called Living in the Days of Deception, he reveals the antidote to the lies we're told that have become increasingly harder to detect. From the inspiring foreword written by Mike Pompeo to the final chapters, Pastor Jack exposes how to combat deceptive spirits and equips us when we're deceived by the ultimate liar, Satan himself. Living in the Days of Deception by Jack Hibbs is a powerful must-read, and when you order, you can bundle by getting the DVDs and a downloadable link for a gift of any amount at jackhibbs.com radio. That's jackhibbs.com radio. Real Life presents the Jack Hibbs Podcast with intention and boldness to proclaim truth, equip the saints, and impact our culture. You put up an embryo of a monkey, put up an embryo of a giraffe, put up the embryo of a human, you pick it. Guess what? They all look the same. You know why? Because it came from the same mind. It came from the same designer. It means that he's the creator. It doesn't mean that he didn't do it. It means that his fingerprints are universally on everything. You can get the outlines of this podcast by going to jackhibbs.com slash podcast. Today, if this podcast lifts you up and encourages you to live a more fulfilled life in Christ, then make sure you leave us one of those five-star ratings. To us, that's like saying amen or yes. Then that rating will encourage others to listen. Now open your hearts to what God's Word has to say to you. Here is Jack Hibbs. In a recent poll, 121 people were asked, if you die, would you go to heaven? 120 people said yes, before one person said, I think I'm going to hell. <laughs> so for every 120 people, one of them had the honesty to say, I don't think I'm, I think I'm gonna make it. By default, the American interviewed on the street thinks he's going to heaven. And we've, we've taken heaven and we've made it almost something of boredom. Heaven, oh yeah, heaven, yeah, sure. I'm going to heaven. Like it's nothing. And yet from cover to cover of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, this book is a book of redemption. You need to know that if you don't. This book is all about getting you back into the presence of God now and forever. God wrote this. God provided it. God made the way of salvation. And it's God who extends the invitation. Come to heaven with me. Jesus said, come and follow me. Remarkable. Here's the funny thing. You might feel better if I were to put up on the screens right now. These are the 10 rules that you must obey to attend this church and eventually make it to heaven. And people without faith will say, write that down. Oh, wait, let me, hold it. Let me take a picture of it. Let me copy that. That's, that's sick and dangerous. But that's the human works-mindedness of us trying to, watch, trying to get back to something that we know on the inside we've lost or we do not have. Listen, doing good things, people, is a wonderful thing. We need all of you. You need me to do good things. We want good citizens. That's fantastic. 
And you can't exactly fault the person holy who says, I do good things so I can go to heaven. Their motives are wrong. What they're trying to do, though, is a good thing. And we appreciate that. My argument is, is, not, is that not a valid argument regarding heaven or not? Clearly it's not. You can't go to heaven by being good. But here's what I'm saying about the person that is driven to do good with hopefully being accepted by a God or gods to let them in. Is that they know down deep inside there's got to be some form of reformation, some form of change in my life to do something that will maybe outweigh my bad so that I can win in the end? And I'm, I'm just pointing that out as a virtue this way. They are admitting by their actions that they have fallen out of friendship with heaven and they're trying to find their way back. They will look to works. They will look to effort. They will look to good deeds because they know that there's a vacancy inside of them. God turns and says regarding the reality of heaven that we all need to take notice that he has given us enough evidence. This is where we were at last time where the atheist can debate the existence of God in heaven, but it's futile. The evidence is overwhelming. I'm pretty sick and tired of people saying without any knowledge whatsoever, you can't prove the existence of God. I believe you actually can prove the existence of God if you just apply reason and logic. And what I mean by that is this, that there's a natural witness that we learned about that God has created what has been created. It's brilliant and it's obvious. Somebody, and you can, listen, you can use this. In books of evolution and argumentation like that of, of a creation without God, they will say, all you have to do to believe in evolution is to look at an embryo. And they will put up an embryo of a monkey. And I challenge you right now, don't do it now, I need you to pay attention, but do it later. You put up an embryo of a monkey, put up an embryo of a giraffe, put up the embryo of a human, put up the embryo of a rhinoceros, you pick it. You have to, guess what? They all look the same. Have you seen them? And an evolutionist will say, ha, that's proof that evolution's true. And they walk away like they won the argument. Oh, the exact opposite's true. The exact opposite's true. So how do you, how do you figure? Because the same God who claims in the Bible to be the creator of all life, when you look at the embryo of a monkey or of a giraffe or a human, it does look exactly the same. You know why? Because it came from the same mind. It came from the same designer. Why mess with a good thing? Apparently it works. If God wants to make a giraffe, this is how it goes. It means that he's the creator. It doesn't mean that he didn't do it. It means that his fingerprints are universally on everything. And when those things go and move and develop out of the stage of looking the same, are they quite different or what? Thankfully so. Remarkable. Creation. Creation screams. So I believe in science. Right on. Then you should bow your knee to Jesus if you do. The evidence is overwhelming. We looked at that last time. Secondly, we saw last time that there's the personal witness of consciousness. We had some fun with that because we talked about how you and I as humans... 
We have a, obviously, we have a consciousness. We dream, we wonder, we write poems, we, we, we do, uh, you know, whatever, M- music and, and letters and expression. That comes from your consciousness, from the spiritual side of who you are. And we made mention of the fact that there's no bodily part of your physical existence that has the conscience department. <laughs> it's not by your right ear. It's not over on the right side, the middle, the deep part of your brain. It's not down around your thyroid. It's nowhere near your pancreas. It doesn't exist. Because you are functioning a bio-machine for this world. It's called your body. And we focus on it. We draw attention to it. Uh, we put um, deodorant on it. And the older you get, the more deodorant you put on it. The more the cologne. Why? Because you're dying. You got to cover up the stink. Why? Because this body is dying. But the, notice the consciousness stays. And the Bible tells us, and by the way, science tells us that at the moment of death, it's interesting, life, the world will say that life ends. The Bible says life left. And when you die, will heaven be your home? Will you be going there is the question. There's a natural witness that says, I'm God, believe in me, I've made all of this. There's the personal witness of consciousness where you think God thoughts and you wonder about God. Remarkable. You and I talked about the joys and the hopes and the expressions. But being human, we're also able to confess the conviction and the guilt and the shame that's in us. The personal witness of consciousness And this is where we left off last time. Here we go. We're diving into this now. The third one is the divine witness of revelation. So what do you mean divine witness of revelation? God's divine testimony, witness, revelation of his revealed will, which is called the Bible, the word of God. So God has given, listen, he's given you three witnesses. I love this because the Bible says, Before two or three witnesses, the truth shall be established. Doesn't it say that? There's the natural witness of God's existence. There is your conscience. The fact that you are a body, soul, and spirit. And thirdly, there's the revelation of God's word. And you might say, well, pastor, that's where I have a hard time. I don't believe. I think the Bible's a bunch of fairy tales. That's what you believe. That's what you think. But on what basis have you come to that conclusion? Who told you that? A professor at school? A neighbor? Where did you read that? How do you know this? On what authority? So we just ask these questions. And why is this important? Because we're talking about the topic of heaven and hell, ladies and gentlemen. We need to build a foundation as to why you should depart from your life that is taking you on the path of hell and destruction. And you need to understand why you should get on the road and get the straight and narrow way Jesus said. By the way, that's not the, that's not the boring and, and uh, tedious way. The straight and narrow is, the way that, is what he calls it to be. I have to argue with you. It's the most exciting, fulfilling way of all. But you need to know. 
And I understand this. You have to understand me when I tell you this, that the message you hear today, you may not ever come back to this church again. And I want you to know I'm doing this intentionally, not to drive you away, but to have this last opportunity to make sure that you know the truth. Okay, that's the, that's the, that's the greatest. If I, if, I, if I am called to show you love, I'm loving you right now. Because I'm giving you the truth that you'll have to talk to God about, even though you may hate me forever. That's fine with me if you know the truth. The number one thing out of the four, I'm going to give you four things right now. The historicity of the Bible. Can you trust the Bible? The historicity or the historical record of the Bible. Should I put my faith in what God has said in the Bible? Well, let's look at the history. And I'll give you a few because time doesn't allow me to go through much. History. History. The Bible says, let's talk about history. The Bible says, for example, there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, forget about the Bible. Do museums and other forms of literature and evidence say that there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. What about the Persian Empire? The Bible says there's a Persian Empire. Is there evidence to substantiate the historicity of the Bible? Of course, museums are filled with Persian artifacts from its governing empire. What about King David? You ever heard, about, heard of that guy before? King David. There used to be a program some years ago called the Naked Archaeologist. He claimed to tell you the naked truth about all things, that he wouldn't lie to you, and he didn't lie, but uh, he had an atheistic background. He's Jewish. You, some of you know who I'm talking about. And he does, he's not fond of the Bible. When he did a show on it, he would make fun of the Bible. And that's fine. Until when one time he did a program and he said there was no David. If there was a David, he was a um, little boy guy who created a myth. And then he became a legend. It's all trumped up stuff. Until Archaeology, which we'll touch on in a moment, brought forth evidence that revealed not only David and in, 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 uh, in writings of David, but you can get on an airplane right now and fly 15 hours L.A. to Tel Aviv, get out, and we could drive to Jerusalem. It's about a 45-minute drive up the mountain, and before we get to um, uh, the main city, we'll stop at the old city of David. It's been completely unearthed, and you can walk through his rooms. So then why are you not a believer? There's also the archaeological evidence of God's revelation. Archaeology is a science, you know. And so you read a, an area in the Bible. This is kind of fun. All of us have heard of the Valley of Armageddon. But you may not be aware of how incredibly beautiful it is. It looks so much like, almost identical to, a giant version of, you know where um, Monterey is? Monterey, here, California, Monterey. You know Salinas, you know where the Grapes of Wrath, John Steinbeck, remember that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Up there, isn't it beautiful? There's artichokes, there's lettuce, this side of the street, this side of the street, tomato, that side of the street, broccoli, this side of the street, asparagus, it's amazing. Megiddo, Harmageddon, where the last battle will be on earth. Beautiful. Did you know that there are archaeological places where we go to on our trips? Hetzor, for one, or Megiddo. Why? 
Because there's massive stables that have been unearthed that are 3,000 years old. Tons of them to hold hundreds and hundreds of horses and garages, this is all underground, garages that held hundreds and hundreds of chariots. Do you know who owned them? Good. Solomon owned them. What did God say to Solomon? Solomon, I love you. You're amazing. And for you asking for nothing for yourself in your prayer, I'm going to give you all that stuff and I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to bless you. No one's going to be able to to rival you. I'm going to be good to you. And Solomon, right on, it's awesome. <laughs> and you know Solomon is the wisest man that's ever lived. And yet God told him, I'm going to bless your life as long as you don't add to yourself horses because you're going to trust in the, those weapons of war and not me. So I'll take care of the nation. Don't trust in your aircraft carriers and in your submarines. I got you. Oh, and you know what? Your chariots, don't trust in your tanks. I got you. Because when you put your trust in those things, you'll forget me. Oh, and one other thing, Solomon. Um, I'll give you a wife. One. Don't add to yourself women. So what do you do when you go to Megiddo or... or Hitzor, and you dig, you find stables, and you find out that the Bible warned us that, so how many, I'm, I'm lost count, how many wives did he have? 700? Was it over 700? And then, that's not to mention, two or 300 concubines. You have 700 women that are designated to be your wife, and then you have 300 sex toys, women. That's all they're for. Do you realize you do the math? I don't know. You can do the math. I can't. But you figure out, man, if you're going to go on a date with Solomon, if you're in that harem, you might go out with him like once every eight years. (laughs) Is that weird? God said, don't do that. What did he do? He did it. He did it. And when you dig, archaeological evidence shows you. So why aren't you not a believer? Eschatological arguments, not going to belabor this. God writes the future down in advance. It's called Bible prophecy. And uh, today, one of the greatest growing superpowers in the world is Israel. Since 1948, a nation born twice, exactly as the Bible said. Fourthly is what's known as the ontological argument. This is the, it's a big word, but it means reasonable, things that are reasonably obvious. Things that are reasonably obvious. An ontological argument is that it's reasonably obvious that these chairs were built for you to sit in. You see, that's ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous? It's so simple and obvious that it's ridiculous, right? Say, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to Sacramento. How are you gonna go there? I'm gonna walk. Why would you walk when you can take a plane? Because you get there faster if you take a plane. That's an obvious reality. You'll get there faster if you take a plane. There are things that are so obvious that they're there in front of you, and it's crystal clear. I shared this with you guys last week, I think. I get so confused because I teach differently at almost each service. Is different. It depends on how much food I haven't have. 
And by third service, I start to lose my mind. But this is obvious. To me, this is obvious that there's a God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who reveals himself in three personalities, three persons. He's one God. So I don't get it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because when a man, is this what I said last week? Yeah? Remember, when a man connects with a female in, there's, I saw some young faces, so I'm doing my best I can right now. When, a, when, when daddy and mommy are going to wrestle for a, for a moment at, at what's happening, you've got the creation taking place, and, and in, in a sense, you have three pregnancy, you have three in one. You have three in one. You've got one inside the other, inside the other. It's amazing. To me, that's crystal clear. It's not a problem. God has revealed these truths to us that we should no struggle with. This Jack Kemp's podcast, as well as all the broadcast outreach opportunities, are listener-supported. Will you consider partnering with us through a special gift? Go to jackhibbs.com to learn more and stay connected. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.